everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> hey, everyone. Just before we jump into today's episode, I just want to let you guys know that you might see a little bit less of Dave and I on social media at the moment. It's not because we're not there and not because we're not posting as much as normal, but we are being fairly heavily censored. And we've had content taken down. We've had videos taken down. We can't share some new videos. We've had features taken away. So, if you do want to stay up to date with us, can I please ask you to check out our websites? Mine will be going live in the next one or two weeks. So if it's not live, when you look it up, it will be shortly. Dave's website is in the show notes. And we'd love for you guys to stay connected with us that way, regardless of what happens on social media. So thank you for, for following us. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. We couldn't actually share any of this content on, on social media. It all got taken down. But this is one of the most important health topics today. So buckle up and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so today's topic, I, I've not seen the movie The Da Vinci Code. I don't know if you've seen it, Dave, but in my mind, the way that movie goes kind of feels to me the way this topic is. And for me, a few years ago, when I started learning about this topic, it kind of felt like I'd stumbled across some kind of like mystery or secret. And the more I sort of dove into it, the more I was like, holy crap, what is happening? The whole, Like everything is connected to this one thing. And it just felt like suddenly everywhere I looked, this one thing seemed to explain everything I was seeing in my clients. And the more I dove into it, the more connections were being made, the more I saw those papers on this and on basically every single health condition my clients were experiencing. And it just felt like, it literally felt like glasses had been taken off my eyes. And like, suddenly I was like, okay, this all starts to make sense now. And that topic or that issue is a toxin. And that toxin is probably something you guys have heard us talk about before. It's called lipopolysaccharides. And I kid you not, if you look up basically any health condition, any disease, and you go to PubMed and you start looking up lipopolysaccharides and you type in a condition, there's paper after paper showing associations with this toxin connected to these diseases. And once you start to realize this, you start to realize, in fact, this is arguably, this is maybe the number one driver of disease, and yet no one's speaking about it. I've never heard... I've never heard a doctor talk about it. Yes, maybe, you know, like social media personalities and stuff, but I've never had a client come to me and be like, oh, I've got XYZ health condition. My doctor told me I've probably got high levels of LPS. That's never a conversation that I've heard happen. And so I know this could be a bit of a complicated episode for some people who maybe haven't heard about this stuff before, but we want to do our best, I guess, to A, just break down a little bit of what this actually is, what this toxin is, and then B, just some of the health conditions that this could actually be connected to. So I do encourage you guys to stick through it. I know there's going to be like a lot of conditions we're going to talk about here, but I think it's probably going to open up your eyes and your mind a little bit to how this one particular issue can be so heavily interrelated with so much of our health. Yeah, initially, I wasn't sure where you were going with the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about a different topic, but... Look, I 100% agree with like everything that you've just said. And I, I remember like even when we've talked about this in the past and, you know, and I said to you, maybe just look at some other research. Okay? And I remember you actually coming back to me and just saying, like, I just can't believe how many ailments and diseases are actually linked to LPS, lipopolysaccharides. And so the research is there, yeah, okay? And there's mm. just like so many different conditions that you can actually just type in, yeah, okay? And you can just... You can find the research papers there. You can find the PubMed research papers there. So it is, it is a tough one because there's just so many things that are linked to it. And obviously we're going to do the best that we can to just talk about some of these major conditions, but we're only scraping the surface like always. Yeah. yeah? Okay. So given when I started to, to go pretty far down the rabbit hole with like negative gram bacteria and LPS, I probably wasn't expecting to find as much as I actually did find. Yeah. You know, it just blew my mind because like initially I was, sort of going oh okay like i'll i'll check the research on things like pneumonia and so forth because that's that's information you can find pretty easily 
And then you just start to go further and further down the rabbit hole and you just go, well, hang about, it's actually linked to this and it's linked to that. So yeah, where do we start? Well, even, and I I don't want to sort of, you know, give a spoiler here, but because there's different things we're going to talk about in a moment, but I would argue, and, and a lot of people would actually suggest that this could be, if we look at the way that this affects so many other things, this could be the number one leading cause of death. Like if we look at the way that LPS just in one example can actually trigger so many different metabolic health conditions. Like this could be this one thing we're talking about here could be the number one trigger or catalyst for the majority of death causing ailments and diseases that people experience. So it's something we just can't continue to overlook. Like it's not, we're not just talking about little health ailments. We're talking about like literally things that kill people. So to start Dave, let's, let's just, talk a little bit about what LPS is just in layman's terms. What are we talking about when we say LPS? Okay. I'll try, I'll try my best to keep this as simple as possible, but what we're essentially talking about here is we're talking about the bacteria cell structure. And so if we look at all bacteria, is it, this is just certain types. so, so, So we've got like, you know, like, I mean, there's all these different types of bacteria. Okay. But you've got like, two major types of bacteria. So you've got positive gram bacteria. And I think like just because of the, because of the word, a lot of people go, well, that must be all like beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. But like with positive gram bacteria, what we're talking about is the bacterial cell structure. Okay. And that it's basically has one cell membrane and that cell membrane is made of peptidoglycan. And basically that's amino acids and sugars. And then you've got a periplasm, which is like a gel-like substance. And then you've got the cytoplasm. So that's the structure of the bacteria cell wall, or that's the structure of the bacteria. But it's important for people to understand, like with a positive gram bacteria, you have some positive gram bacteria that is more beneficial in nature. And then you have some positive gram bacteria strains that are more pathogenic in nature. But one thing we want to make clear that even the pathogenic strains do serve a purpose. We say roughly about 85% of your bacteria is good and about 15% of your bacteria is you know, more pathogenic in nature, but there's a symbiotic relationship between the beneficial and the opportunistic bacteria. And so what we're trying to maintain, we always talk about this is the ratios. Then on the other side of the fence, you've got negative gram bacteria. And once again, negative gram bacteria doesn't mean it's like all bad. Most negative gram bacteria is good, but that refers to the bacterial cell structure as well. And basically the outer membrane of the negative gram bacteria, that is the LPS, that is the lipopolysaccharides. That is the fatty acid molecules and the long chain carbohydrate molecules like polysaccharides, monosaccharides. And doesn't wait, wait, mean- you're going fast. So, so you're saying this outer membrane, which is the LPS, this is the outer layer essentially of the bacteria. And so you're saying this is made up of a combination of a fat and a carbohydrate molecule. Yes. Yep. Cool. Okay. And that like, cause negative gram bacteria is classified as endotoxins and they're trying, like there's like bacterial wars going on and endotoxins are trying to protect themselves from exotoxin. Okay. So you would say that the reason it's got this really robust, you know, a cell structure is just for protection. So then you've got the LPS and then you've got the periplasm. So you've got that, that gel-like substance. Then you've got the peptidoglycan. So the outer membrane that makes up the positive gram bacteria is more internal. Then you've got another periplasm and then you've got the cytoplasm. So the whole thing with like negative gram bacteria. And once again, it's important to understand that yes, a lot of this negative gram bacteria is beneficial. And then some of this negative gram bacteria is more pathogenic in nature. So we don't want to make it sound like it's the devil. It's not the devil. So, so what we're saying though, is it's not actually the bacteria itself, which is causing, well, I mean, I guess it is causing, but we're not saying that, you know, LPS isn't a type of bacteria. You know, what LPS is produced by these types of bacteria, which are called negative gram bacteria, and that could include E. coli and Klebsiella, a whole lot of different types of bacteria. And so it's this, this, this compound made up of a fat and a carb, and that's important because we, we might touch on that later, and it's being expelled into the system. And so we're getting these high amounts of, of concentration of LPS, yeah? Yeah. And and like, like, you know, one example is they say that sometimes that when there's stress and trauma within the host and obviously we're the host, okay, that the endotoxins can respond to that stress and the trauma. So I'm just using this as an example. Okay. And they respond to that by basically expelling their outer membrane into your system. Mm -hmm. And if we're just talking about like one bacteria cell here, that can expel anywhere from 1 million to 3 million particles of LPS in your system. So if you've got a 
overgrowth of the pathogenic strains of the negative gram bacteria. And then you've got like damage to the gastrointestinal tract, like hyperpermeability, you know, severe intestinal permeability when you've got damage to the intestinal stem cells, the progenitor cells, then basically the LPS has an easy escape route through the gastrointestinal tract. It gets into the hepatic portal system. So for people who don't know what I'm talking about here, like bloodstream liver, your body can deal with small amounts of LPS, but obviously it's going to really struggle to keep up with high amounts of LPS. And this is obviously where it poses a problem. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is key as well. So what you said there, so the bacteria that's producing LPS, it should be in the gut. And so we should have, it's normal to have some amounts of LPS within the gut, but the more damaged the gut lining becomes, and that can be further damaged by the LPS, but the more damage that becomes and the more LPS essentially enters into the blood and we get this translocation where it should have been in the gut, but now it's in the blood and then it can actually shoot off and go to other places within the body as well. And that's where it starts to cause issues. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, like you're, you're exactly right. I mean, like the LPS itself can actually, because it raises like pro-inflammatory proteins and like some of the major pro-inflammatory proteins that actually raises up like interleukin 32, people can research that a little bit more, but when you raise the interleukin 32, that actually causes a rise in other pro-inflammatory proteins. TNF alpha, interleukin six, interleukin one. So, and yeah. when the rays in the pro-inflammatory pro- proteins, you blunten the brush borders at the top of the epithelium. So you're actually creating more bluntening of those brush borders, and you're creating more damage to the gut lining. But the LPS itself also damages the tight junction proteins that actually help with the structure of the intracellular tight junctions, and that can happen actually within the gut lining. So you damage particular tight junction proteins like occludin, claudine, okay, but also within the blood-brain barrier as well. Okay, because LPS actually damages the blood brain barrier outside of the blood brain barrier and it actually uh, causes dysregulation or dysfunction to the tight junction proteins within the blood brain barrier, like occluding and uh, claudine 5. So, in a nutshell, so, so now we've talked about what LPS actually is, where it should be, where it kind of ends up, and then I guess what dictates how it affects someone, because we're going to talk about all these different conditions linked to it. And why does one person develop one condition, another person develop another condition? Well, it kind of is a little bit connected to just where that LPS is sort of ending up, isn't it? So now it's entered into the blood and maybe more will accumulate around certain tissue. And maybe there might be more sort of issues associated with that tissue or could end up in other places. So that's kind of this, how the issues stem. And so now let's talk about what issues can actually be caused by it. And so maybe we start by, because this is something which is, you know, really on the rise, I suppose, over time is autoimmunity. And so how is it that LPS maybe could be connected to different forms of autoimmunity? Where to start? I mean, there's a lot here because like there's, there's definitely a lot of different strains of negative gram bacteria that have been linked to particular types of autoimmune conditions. And obviously we're not going to be able to like cover like Mm. every single one. We're just using some examples. Just a bit of an overview. Yeah. But with some like Crohn's. Okay. Now without going too much into Crohn's, I mean, obviously for people who don't know, I mean, IBD condition. So irritable bowel disorder or irritable bowel disease, essentially what's happening with some like Crohn's, you've obviously got high amounts of inflammation. I would actually say that you've got damage to one of the major types of epithelium within the colon, like goblet cells, but you've got high amounts of inflammation within the colon. So there's high amounts of aggravation within that region. Okay. But you, you're probably going to find that there's also high amounts of inflammation in the ileum as well. So most likely both. Okay. And it's actually interesting on that because they, they have found uh, there was a study where it was like 70% of, you know, Crohn's cases that actually had like inflammation within the ileum. Mm. Okay. Well, most of the time people are going to only associate that with the inflammation within the colon. Okay. But there was also extremely high amounts of inflammation within the ileum. So that could actually relate to something like SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Cause obviously you can have uh, that bacterial overgrowth within the ileum. Obviously you can have it in other sections of the small intestine as well, like the duodenum, the jejunum. Okay. But you can also have that overgrowth in the colon as well. And the only reason I'm sort of like bringing that up is because of the types of bacteria strains that have actually been more linked towards Crohn's. And that is actually certain types of negative gram bacteria. So I'm not, once again, is there an association with other types of bacterial issues as well? Mm. Yes. But we're just using this obviously as an example, but they definitely found that there was a link with like Escherichia coli or E. coli. I guess like about six pathogenic strains of E. coli. One thing I want to make clear is that a lot of E. coli is extremely beneficial. 
And I think we've talked about that in, in, in other podcasts. So there's definitely a link here with E. coli, but actually other negative gram bacteria strains as well. So if you actually look at it like E. coli, uh, Prevotella is another one and Bacteroids. And, and once again, the only reason I wanted to bring that up is because like Escher coli and Bacteroids have definitely been linked to SIBO. Now, I know you've talked to me like, I think it might've been about a week ago where you said that there was a higher link with things like Klebsiella, which once again is a negative gram bacteria strain. What was the other one? What was the- E. coli. Yeah, E. coli. Yeah, okay. So once again, it's really important to understand that what's happening here, because obviously look, with some of Crohn's, it's got high amounts of inflammation in that colon region. I would actually say the ileum as well, okay? And what happens when you've got like LPS and negative gram bacteria is you're just raising a lot of these pro-inflammatory yeah. proteins that I already talked about. The interleukin-32- I1, IL-6, TNF-alpha, IFNY, okay? All these like pro-inflammatory proteins get raised. Yeah. So okay. LPS is directly actually causing an increase in these other inflammatory molecules. So yes. they tend to just all kind of match each other and go high together. And we've got and studies also, that support that, don't we? Like yeah. I, I've seen one study in Crohn's disease and they found that people who had active Crohn's compared to in remission, they found that the, those who were active had much higher levels of LPS but they also had higher levels of ESI in the blood and had higher levels of, of various interleukin molecules. And, and ultimately it's not like, yes, the strongest correlation was the LPS, but the LPS is causing all these other things to be high as well. Yeah. And even like within the bloods, especially when it's more acute, there's definitely a raise in like an immune cells. Yeah. So a lot of the time, like, you know, total white blood cell count and neutrophil count is going to be more elevated, but obviously when it becomes more chronic, then it could be more immunosuppressed. But you almost also might see within the blood markers is some like CRP, even though it's a very sensitive yeah. marker, like C-reactive protein, but it's basically signaled by interleukin-6. Yeah, okay? yeah. And interleukin-6 is generally raised quite significantly in something like uh, negative gram bacteria or LPS exposure. Yeah. Yeah. That would be probably the best indicator we would have from a blood work perspective. Well, I guess maybe GGT, but CRP to correlate with LPS would, would probably be the strongest correlation we've got in a normal blood panel, wouldn't it? Yeah, but the I mean, obviously the only issue there is that the C, CRP is quite sensitive, as I yeah. said, yeah, okay? Yeah. But yes, you would actually expect that the C... And once again, we're just talking about that it might just be a little bit raised, mm. okay? I'm not talking about like your CRP being like through the roof, yeah, like over yeah. 20. So that's one. I mean, another one is like ulcerative colitis. Like obviously, you know, people have got ulcerative colitis. They've got like... You would say like splitting, like gastrointestinal fissures, like abrasions within the epithelium, within the colon, the large intestine. Okay. And hence why, I mean, they, they're generally going to have, you know, maybe sufficient amounts of blood within their stool. Mm. Okay. Because they've actually got a lot of bleeding within the large intestine and the colon. Okay. Mm. Also, because there's so much damage to the actual mucosal cells in the epithelium. Okay those epithelium really struggle to absorb and, and detoxify things like hydrogen sulfide. So they can get really a high accumulation of hydrogen sulfide, which, which can actually create more epithelial permeability, but more to the point, they can't really absorb it and detoxify it. And that can actually cause a little bit more fluctuance. And when they pass that gas, it generally smells like rotten eggs. Yeah, okay? mm. And they actually have shown that in literature that people suffering something like ulcerated colitis are actually more prone to like sulfur smelling flatulence okay or ron neg farts mm. basically so and once again with something like ulcerative colitis they actually showed within research and can't remember the exact levels okay but they actually showed that there was higher levels of negative gram bacteria now obviously they they did show that there was mm. low levels of particular types of beneficial flora i think like there was lower levels of like lactobacillus yeah okay mm -hmm. once again don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole but yeah. also lower levels of acomancia Mucinifilla as well. But my big point is that once again, another link here with higher, higher levels of like negative gram bacteria. And once again, it's just the raise in the pro-inflammatory proteins, you know, and inflammation is going to be significantly raised within this region, especially when there's an overgrowth of negative gram bacteria. Even so, so there was actually lower levels of acomancy, is it? That's, I mean, that was one particular research okay, yeah. where they actually showed that there was lower levels of the Acomancia mucinifilla. I mean, obviously, you know, and, and I think we've sort of talked about this, you know, previously, a lot of people say that Acomancia mucinifilla can have benefits for like blood sugar management regulation mm, yeah. and people have got like insulin resistance and type two diabetes. And so like, I, 
once again, I'm not saying that's conclusive, yeah, okay? But I do know there's some documentation to say that people with things like motor neurons, that they could potentially have like low levels of acumentia mucinifila as well. See, um, my assumption would have been that the, the high levels of acumentia would have damaged like the mucosal lining and so would have mm-hmm. been more likely to be high in IBD cases. Yeah, well, once again, like, you know, it, it, it does get a little bit like hard to... To narrow down to one to, to narrow to narrow it down. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like once again, like I don't want to make it clear to, to listeners. I'm just saying in certain types of research that I've read, yeah. by no means am I saying that that is definitive that everyone's gonna have yeah, okay? totally. definitive. Yeah, okay. I'm just using some examples. But I think also that you just start to, I mean, the one thing that's really just common here is not really so much the acumancia mucinifila and the lactobacillus. <laughs> I mean, what is it? It's the negative gram bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because you can even like find that with you know fibromyalgia. Yeah, as well. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and actually because like and once again, for people who don't know what fibromyalgia is, well, once again, it's another autoimmune condition. It's obviously, these people have a lot of inflammation, but the thing is, they've they just got a lot of pain. Yeah, and actually, what they found once again, it's down to the LPS. Okay, and the LPS can actually impair things like they call it uh, central sensitization. And what that basically leads to is that these people have high amounts of pain. Well, they, they've got poor pain sensitivity, basically. And they actually even documented this within the brain. So they actually had impaired perception around pain and they were just far more sensitive towards pain. And so in that instance, just really exacerbated. Okay. So they just feel pain a lot more. I mean, this would probably be a bit of an example of like the impact that obviously LPS has on the brain we're probably going to use that as a bit of an example anyway mm. um and the other one that which which i don't maybe want to harp on about like too much because i know we've like i'm pretty sure we mentioned it not long ago is just the molecular mimicry aspect yeah. again because it just once again especially like negative gram bacteria strains i mean they can create like proteins and they create proteins that basically imitate protein cells and they do that to basically evade human pathways and, and once again, we're just going to say it's like a, a survival mechanism. Mm. And they, I, I think the example that we gave was that certain types of negative gram bacteria strains, you know, I think the examples that we gave, things like Shigella, that the human antigen that was mimicked was the HLA B27. And this is like a six amino acid sort of sequence. And that was linked to ankylosing spondylitis mm. so you know and there's, there's actually other examples of that molecular mimicry as well and i think there's some other examples with even things like h pylori helicobacter overgrowth okay and once again that's negative gram bacteria that's lps as well mm. so there's also the the example of molecular mimicry and obviously the impact that that is having on certain autoimmune conditions like ankylosing spondylitis and obviously you know the other bacteria was like Klebsiella with that as well. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, is there more examples? There's more examples. I mean, I don't know if we want to like keep on using Yeah, that. I mean, we should probably move on. But like, this is a point we're making is you can look into basically anything and it'll come up. I mean, you know, whether we want to call endometriosis an autoimmune condition, like not quite, but it's got to share some characteristics. And there's very compelling data to show that people with endometriosis have higher levels of LPS in the menses blood. There's, you know, this whole new concept, what are they calling it? The bacterial contamination theory, I think. And, and that's this whole idea that LPS could actually trigger the growth of, of endometriosis or the, the tissue associated with endometriosis. And that could actually be the, the ultimately the trigger, which is leading to the development of this disease. Um, you know, there's studies on how LPS will affect various enzymes, the adenase enzymes with thyroid and how that could be connected to things like Hashimoto's and, and various thyroid conditions. There's even studies on like chronic fatigue. And, and I think like we didn't even mention this, but if you look at a lot of animal studies, when they want to induce inflammation in the animals, they inject them with LPS. Like that's how inflammatory this stuff is. And there's studies where they've injected mice with, with literally with LPS and the mice exhibit like their, their sick behavior mimics basically like chronic fatigue type symptoms. And even, and even when like, I mean, it's great points. Yeah. Okay. Because even when they've just injected the LPS into the peripheral tissue, almost like we're talking about the type of response that, that just actually happens almost immediately. 
Yeah. Okay. So they even notice like when they've injected people with LPS, okay, that it creates oxidonitrosative stress in the brain. It's inflammation in the brain. Mm. And it actually creates neural cell death. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is like, once again, it's pretty significant. Yeah. Okay? And that's, I guess that's why we wanted to talk about it because we just are sort of a little bit baffled when we're talking about all these different types of reactions. Yeah. Okay. Like, why isn't this just talked about? Yeah. So, so that's just a taste of autoimmunity. And like you said, we could have kept going, but let's just leave that one there for now. Let's move on. You just mentioned like neurological inflammation and sort of some neurological connections there. Maybe we talk about that a bit. All right. So look, it's really important to understand that it it just comes down to obviously LPS raising the pro-inflammatory proteins again. And also what we've got to understand, okay, especially when you've, lost the most protective physical barrier in the human body. And that's the epithelium within the gastrointestinal tract. And you could probably argue the epithelium within the lungs as well. So when that's been compromised, then once again, the LPS has an easy escape route through the intracellular type junctions into that hep- hepatic portal system. Your body's going to do the best that it can to keep up so it can deal with small amounts of the LPS. But now the LPS can damage the blood-brain barrier outside of the blood-brain barrier. Okay. And whether this is conclusive, but a lot of the time they say that the LPS can now permeate up through the blood-brain barrier and cause basically inflammation in the brain, okay? And once again, they have documented when they've injected people with LPS into the peripheral tissue, the impact that it has on the brain. And actually, there's so many parts of the brain that it impacts. And so once again, when it creates that oxidonitrosative stress in the brain, okay, two major parts of the brain that it affects. So one is the prefrontal cortex, so that's goal setting. That's critical thinking. That's lateral thinking. That's honesty. And even you'd say like even some aspects around like dopamine. So motivation and get up and go. The other part of the brain is the hippocampus. Well, that's emotional regulation. That's neuroplasticity. It's gray matter. And that's also like short-term to long-term memory. Mm. So how many aspects of the, of, the, of the brain is that impacting? Okay. And so it's, it's really like one of the worst culprits for things like neurodegenerative diseases is just a raise in like pro-inflammatory proteins, like inflammation in the brain. So how many neurodegenerative diseases could it actually be linked to? Well, that could be things like multiple sclerosis because it's, it's important to understand that especially certain types of negative gram bacteria strains like Citrobacter fundi complex, that can cause like abscesses in the brain things like lesions, plaquing in the brain, okay? And so hence why a bit of a link to MS, multiple sclerosis. It's a protein misfolding issue, but it's basically like lesions and plaquing in the brain. And also other conditions like Parkinson's, I'd probably say there's probably a higher link with things like acetaldehyde, ethanol, candida and yeast, okay? But there's a link there as well. Also things like Huntington's disease uh, and Alzheimer's, okay? So you'd say there's actually a link to like a lot of neurodegenerative diseases, okay? Mm. And the other thing is, there's, there's a, there's a particular enzyme. Like I don't, I think we're like, we've spoken about in the past. Okay. It's called IDO, IDO. And so you actually find this in like macrophages, like immune cells. So unfortunately like LPS raises IDO. So it raises this particular enzyme. Now the problem is when you've got high amounts of this, okay, it actually degrades. And so what I mean by degrade is breaks down. So it actually breaks, breaks down tryptophan. And so what impact is that going to have? Okay. Cause obviously you've got L-tryptophan, it gets converted to 5-HTP, 5-hydroxy-L-tryptophan. Okay. And then we're talking about serotonin and melatonin. So is this going to have like a big impact on things like 5-HTP, serotonin, and melatonin? For sure. And so. The, the, so could that affect it, sleep quality then as well? Would it affect melatonin like in terms of sleep onset? Yeah. Well, we know that high amounts of LPS is like, so the way to explain it, like people who've got high LPS exposure, their sleep is like a washing machine. It's probably mm. the best way to explain it. Mm. So what I mean by that for, for the listeners who just go like, what, yeah, but what does that actually mean? There's just no pattern. Mm. It's just all over the shop. Like one morning, they, you know, they wake up before I am in the morning, can't get back to sleep. Next night, wake up, go to the toilet three times. Next night, maybe sleep perfectly fine. This is what I mean. There's just no pattern. Next night, wake up at 2 a.m., think it's going to be 6 a.m., just go back to bed. So this is what I'm saying, like a washing machine. Because the, the thing is that the LPS, one of the most protective compounds for the blood-brain barrier is melatonin. It's a powerful antioxidant. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've talked about melatonin before. It's a hormone. 
but it's actually required for the integrity of the blood brain barrier. It's actually required for the function of the tight junction proteins like include and claudine five within the blood brain barrier. Okay. So you just put more pressure on the melatonin. Hence why it's going to, it's going to be like a washing machine, but basically the way to look at this enzyme, IDO, IDO. Yeah. Okay. Is that what actually can raise that is once again, it's like pro-inflammatory proteins. And some of the pro-inflammatory proteins that can actually raise that, TNF-alpha, uh, IFNY. Well, guess what? LPS, negative gram bacteria, raises these pro-inflammatory proteins. And they've actually shown that LPS will increase IDO, will increase this enzyme. And so what is it going to be linked to? Like I would say depressive-like behavior. Mm. <laughs> and so once again, so if we just look, and I'm only just covering a few aspects here. But how many like neurological problems, there's neurodegenerative diseases. And so could that also cause a lot of depressive like behavior, mood, mood disorders, suicidal tendencies, all that type of stuff. Mm. And could we actually even put a stat on that in terms of how many deaths it might be linked to? Mm. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that one. Like, yeah. I'm like, like unfortunately, I couldn't give people definitive stats no. on that. no. So it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because if we're trying to like really weigh up, like how many deaths could it actually yeah. be associated with? Yeah, okay. Like it's, it's tough. I remember like, even like we talk about antibody, I mean, we've already talked about this, but it's, it's important to mention, but antibody resistant bacterial infections, I yeah. mean, the stats on that is it kills 3,500 people per day. Well, negative gram bacteria is naturally antibody resistant. Yeah. Even before we really start, because okay? it's just actually more robust. And then they're getting the biofilm, the polysaccharide matrix, and even just more robust. So, yeah. I mean, that's getting worse and worse over time. And we've, we did a whole episode in that. So if you guys haven't heard that yet, go back and listen to the antibiotic episode. But something that we actually haven't mentioned yet, I don't think, is one of the, and maybe we'll touch on it in a bit, but one of the leading ways that people actually, well, one of, that people get infected with negative gram bacteria is actually in, in healthcare and hospital settings. And people don't realize that. And, you know, in fact... I believe there was there was one study that found that hospital acquired infections was, I think it was the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. Now I don't I don't know Aussie stats, but I imagine it'd be fairly similar. And majority of those hospital acquired infections are infections caused by negative gram bacteria. And so, you know, I've had clients where they've had these you know chronic negative gram bacteria infections. You know, there's, there's one person who comes to mind where she was getting UTIs constantly. And I mean, constantly, like weekly and biweekly, she's getting these UTIs. And then in the duration she was working with me throughout, I think over a year, she got two UTIs from getting them weekly to biweekly. She got two in over a year. And both of those UTI infections she got, and UTIs are caused by negative gram bacteria usually, and that's the link here. But both of those infections were after she went and stayed in hospital. And people don't realize that if you, like for me, if I wanted to get sick, the place I would go would be a hospital. I can't think of anywhere worse for that. Well, even if you look up a lot of these negative gram bacteria strains, I mean, they generally would state, if you look up like Wikipedia, I mean, generally found in immunocompromised individuals. Yeah. Okay, well, so, and they would actually say within the literature, they'd probably say within hospital settings. Yeah. And it's not even just people in the hospital. It's the equipment and it's the walls and it like the facility itself. I saw this one case report where they actually tore down. I don't know if you've seen this. They tore down the hospital. They rebuilt the hospital in the same location. And before they even filled it with patients, it was covered in negative gram bacteria. Yeah, Isn't that insane? I'm surprised, I'm surprised you, haven't, you, you haven't told me about that one before. But Yeah, I just remembered it was, it was like a couple of years ago I saw this. Anyway, I don't know how we got into, <laughs> into hospitals. We're talking about <laughs> neurological conditions. And, and, you know, like you said, it's hard to quantify this because how many people just have like worsening life quality and end of life quality because of this? You know, if we talk about neurodegeneration and, and Alzheimer's and, you know, this stuff, we don't even, like, how do you quantify that, you know? So I don't know, do we want to, is any more we want to say about that or should we jump into? Look, I, I probably think that's some of the major, I mean, there's always more. Okay. Yeah. That's the, that's the, I mean, 
yeah, I'll probably, we'll probably, uh, you know, move on to a, like a different area. Cause I, I think obviously what we want to just illustrate to people is just like how many different just realms. This obviously, yeah. 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 This so obviously can cover. As we move into this new area, I want to just read out a quote from a study here. And this is, if I can find it, where are we? So obviously we're talking about LPS. So metabolic endotoxemia so with endotoxins so basically just think lps okay that'll make it simple so metabolic endotoxemia can lead to several chronic inflammatory conditions including it can lead to get this obesity diabetes fatty liver disease and then it says that an increase in gut permeability and potential pharmacological and in dietary intervention should be used to prevent this. So we're saying LPS can literally lead to the development, the causation development of obesity, diabetes, and liver disease. How many people experience obesity, diabetes, and liver disease? Yeah. That's I mean, and, and a I big just, deal. And once again, because it raises like so many pro-inflammatory proteins, I mean, like, you know, even raise things like NF-kappa B, okay? And mm. that, that, that can actually switch on your genetic predisposition for things like autoimmune diseases and cancer. Mm. So once again, it just comes down to this, like the raise in the pro-inflammatory proteins. And, and also like, it's probably important to understand that I would say people who are going to be more susceptible to something like, you know, Corona, COVID, respiratory virus, because that's creating the cytokine storm, like the pro-inflammatory storm, even before you get exposed to that, you've already got a raise in the pro-inflammatory proteins. So what do you think is going to happen when you actually get exposed to something like that? Well, that's probably going to result in more severe symptoms and even something like long, long COVID. Yeah. Do I say, do I, do I just say long? Yeah. <laughs> Halfway into it, you have to finish it. It's hard to know nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's put well, a, we, we may that's as well put an end to that. Yeah, we may as well have stopped the video, the episode now because <laughs> that'll be censored. So it's all over now. <laughs> so okay, so how is it? How is it leading to these metabolic issues? What what connection is there with LPS and diabetes and insulin resistance and obesity? What's going on? So once again, the you know it has been documented that the the raise in the pro-inflammatory proteins this could actually even create like problems within the pancreatic beta cells within the pancreas. Okay. And this can actually cause some problems around insulin. Hence why when we're looking at blood markers, like actually one of the markers that we'd be looking at to see that there's a more high probability of something like LPS exposure is, is something like fasting insulin. Mm. Okay? Obviously you don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but also with the, the LPS, the fatty acid molecules, the long chain carbohydrate molecules, there is a lot of documentation where they've actually shown that once again, I can't remember the year of this research. So I'm just going off the top of my head here. Okay, but they actually showed in non-diabetic obese individuals, okay, and then also diabetic obese individuals that they had higher levels of LPS and also higher levels of LBP. So for people who don't know what I'm talking about with the LBP, so that's lipopolysaccharide binding protein. So that's obviously a protein molecule and it binds to LPS. And this can be like sort of present with things like CD14, okay, a toll-like receptor 4, okay, but once again, it's a rabbit hole. But they actually found that there was high levels and that actually impacted muscle insulin sensitivity. Now, granted, okay, we're mm. talking about people who were obese, mm -hmm. okay, but, you know, I'm just using it as a bit of an example that it was obviously, you know, it was a contributor to blood sugar management dysregulation issues. And even though they found that the raise in the pro-inflammatory proteins, that just these raise in the pro-inflammatory proteins also had a had a uh, impact on even things like type two diabetes. Yeah. Okay. So it's affecting our utilization and, and release of insulin and our regulation of glucose. So type two diabetes. So things like PCOS were put into this category as well. Yeah. Well, also what I forgot to mention is that they found in the in the research that it it did impact insulin signaling mm -hmm. okay and it also impacted glucose transportation into the muscle cells it's pretty significant information and once again people can go away look at that research and once again, i'm not saying that's you know that that all this is conclusive but there's a significant amount of research around that and the other thing is because with something like picos so polycystic ovaries they actually showed that the lbp so the lipopolysaccharide binding protein those levels 
surged in females with PCOS. And not only that, in, in this research, they actually showed that the LPS levels and the LBP levels were higher. And this was actually found in females who were lean and also obese. Mm. And so what, what is that telling me? Is there a huge link here with something like lipopolysaccharides and negative gram bacteria? And actually, mm. because basically LPS can create LPS-induced insulin resistance. So that is blood sugar management dysregulation caused by the LPS, caused by the negative gram bacteria. And there can be a bit of a biochemical knock-on effect here, okay? So actually what can happen is the, basically this creates the LPS-induced insulin resistance, okay? And that can actually increase like enzymes like 1720 lyres. People just got to stay with me here, okay? And that actually increases like androgen hormones like testosterone. So then there's a raise in the testosterone and maybe for females that could create maybe a little bit of hair growth on the arms, maybe a little bit of hair growth on the lip. And also what would happen in this instance, because how we're obviously going to clear excess amounts of testosterone is by converting it to estrogen. And then it converts the testosterone into estrogen beta 17. This can create a little bit more like estrogen dominance. And then this can actually impede on FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. And that can actually impact follicle development within the ovaries and that can actually lead to cysts in the ovaries obviously i don't want to go too much into the you know the, the, the whole realms of like polycystic ovaries here but i'm just talking about i just want to use that as a bit of an example of the biochemical knock-on effect it's a little bit like a, a domino effect mm. but mm. once again okay most of the time what are they going to look at they're going to look at the dysregulation with the androgen hormones, the testosterone levels, or maybe the dysregulation with the estrogen levels. Okay? But they're not going further up that cascade because obviously the things that that's basically started the domino effect is the LPS and the negative gram bacteria. And, and, and what we would say is go back to where the, 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 the domino effect really started from. What was the catalyst of that domino effect? So you've mentioned a few things hormonally there. I don't know if, if this is something you've looked into. You talked about androgen hormones. Is there an effect with where my head goes? Is we were just talking about the neurological effects. Is there an effect of LPS on prolactin? I'm trying to rack my brain whether I've actually come across like any research yeah. that has actually shown that. Because I was just thinking if there no, is... No, then... no, nothing's directly coming to, coming to mind. Okay. Once again, I'm never like when it comes to LPS, guess what? Anything's possible. Anything. I might, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll Google it while we keep going and I'll see what comes up. I bet there'll be a study on PubMed. Okay, so where were we? So we're talking about PCOS. We're talking about like blood sugar. And we obviously talked about also the relationship here with something like PCOS. Okay, well, once again, if they showed that the, the LBP levels like surge in, in uh, females who had PCOS, I mean, that's pretty substantial information, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And- so you're saying that's in both overweight and, and non-overweight and non-obese in, 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 in that particular research that I was looking at, they actually did find that LPS and LBP levels were high in females with PCOS. And that was in both lean and obese individuals. Yeah. So that's quite interesting in and of itself, hey, because that generally speaking in, in lean individuals with PCOS is not as much of a generally not as much of a glucose insulin sort of issue and so potentially there might actually still be high levels of lps even in those females with pcs who don't necessarily have a glucose issue and an insulin issue potentially and once, and once again i'm not saying that that is you know once i'm just quoting research that i've read okay it doesn't necessarily i'm not once again i just want to make it clear i'm not saying that that research is definitive okay yeah but you know, I just like to take on board a lot of different information and I just think it's interesting. So what haven't we covered? So we've talked about connections to autoimmunity, so IBD conditions, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, neurological conditions, even potentially depression and anxiety and neurodegenerative conditions and now obesity and insulin resistance and I touched on how it can affect fatty liver, PCOS, well, I know, I know this, this is probably not going to be everyone's sort of like cup of tea, but I would say like respiratory, okay? Mm. And there, there is significant stats on this. Are you Like you want to know one of the major causes of like pneumonia. And I'm not just going to say there's negative gram bacteria, but I would say negative gram bacteria would, would definitely be a high percentage, okay? Mm. But I mean, what do they say? Like worldwide, I think about like, you know, 2.5 million people would die from pneumonia. That's a reasonable amount. 
And I think, you know, once again, this, this is one particular research, but it was based on like, I think it was like something like 6,091 people. So they actually took like bacterial samples of these people and actually showed that from these samples, about 75% of people who actually had the pneumonia, okay, that 75% was actually like higher levels of negative gram bacteria. It's pretty significant. And so like for people who don't know what pneumonia is, like you obviously you've got an infection and you just get high amounts of inflammation in the air sacs in the, in the lungs. You're getting like almost like fluid build up in the lungs. And I, I think even within that, they showed that particular types of negative gram bacteria strains, like one was Pseudomonas, which has been linked to a lot of respiratory problems. Uh, even things like blocked ears, okay, there's like 190 different ones, 191 different species of like Pseudomonas, okay. But Aeruginosa was the one that actually made up about like 20.7% of that total amount. And the other one was Klebsiella. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the Klebsiella pneumonia. And that made up about 11.8%. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop there because like even like other respiratory problems have been linked to negative gram bacteria as well. And, you know, something that affected me in my, in my younger years, and I know it affects a lot of people, I mean, is asthma. But who would think that like, you know, who's been told that their asthma is as a result of something yeah. like negative gram bacteria and LPS. I mean, I was never told. It's interesting because when I started to go down the realms of really trying to understand why I had a lot of these problems, okay. When I actually did like the first stool test that I ever did on myself, I think I've told you this many times, I was just riddled in negative gram bacteria. Mm. I think I had something like in the realms of about four to five, maybe even might've been a little bit more than that pathogenic strains of like negative gram bacteria, a lot of citrobacter strains in there, you know, Klebsiella. And, and for people who don't know, okay, like I suffered terrible, like childhood asthma, you know, even asthma into my teenage years, okay, like early 20s, you know, I took Ventolin inhaler, I took like uh, preventative inhalers, you know, something that I've experienced, but they, they have showed in research that LPS, and I think like, like once again, don't fully quote me on the stats with this, okay, but a lot of people do die from asthma. I think like worldwide, and it might be, it's hard to get like more recent stats on this, but like 2019, it might have been something like 455,000. Okay? So we're not talking about like a small number, okay? Mm. But they actually showed with injecting people with LPS that it actually induced, uh, like even like I, I think what they did in this research, once again, don't fully <laughs> I'm waiting for you to say the asthmatics died. Like they just injected them with LPS. <laughs> it was all over. That'd be a pretty, pretty <laughs> harsh uh, research test. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, but I think they actually subjected people to different amounts of LPS, uh-huh. okay? And they actually uh, recorded that it created different types of asthma. So I think there's like even like there's what they call like phenotype one, phenotype two. So different concentrations of LPS created different degrees mm. of respiratory problems. Mm. That's pretty interesting, okay? Once mm. again, I'm not saying that's the definitive, okay? But... For someone who has, you know, suffered pretty terrible um, respiratory problems and, and suffered asthma, well, what happened when I actually dealt with my gut and actually dealt with the negative gram bacteria issues? What do you think happened to my asthma? Mm. Yeah, and, and like, and, and once again, people are just going to say, "Well, it's just me." Like I'm the exception to the rule, and I think a lot of the time that's the messaging that we give to people. Yeah, okay, it's like you know, someone like Wim Hof. We just go, "Well, he's, you know, he's just got more brown out of post tissue. He's a genetic freak, yeah. and he's the exception to the rule." And I just don't agree with that. Yeah. I mean, my story is the same. I had very bad asthma when I was younger. I was hospitalized a fair bit and completely gone. I, I mean, I had allergies as well. They're completely gone. Like, you know, a lot of these things that people would say irreversible and you've got it for life just happened to be gone. And what did I do? I just addressed the gut. Yeah. I was, well, once again, you know, for myself, like I was a terrible hay fever sufferer. I mean, I mm. had to have like steroid injections for hay fever. I mean, antihistamines just didn't do anything. Okay. Mm. Initially, I used them, but obviously, the more I used, okay, the worse the problem got, okay, and the higher the dosage of the antihistamines that I had to use. And then it just got to a point where I had to use like steroidal injections mm. to actually help with the hay fever. And guess what? They got to a point where that didn't really do anything. Mm. And the only thing that actually rectified my hay fever, strangely enough, was healing my gut lining. So the pneumonia piece, that it's important to note that that's the leading type of infections. We were talking about hospital infections before. That's like largely what those type of infections are, you know, breathing and respiratory infections there. I mean, when you start to total it all up and also like just for people who don't know, like, you know, negative gram bacteria and LPS is also linked to things like meningitis. 
mm. you know, inflammation in the brain, fluid buildup in the brain. So there's, I mean, like, I mean, even, there's so many things we haven't even touched on, right? Like yeah, well, even cardiovascular this, issues. Yeah, okay, well, so. exactly. And then like, you know, what percentage of deaths are caused by cardiovascular issues? But then on top of that, I mean, we've not even talked about UTIs and, and you know, the effects it can have on fertility. We've not talked Libido. about... Well, yeah. And, you know, even like we've touched on it at different times, but don't forget, this is the leading cause of IBS or SIBO. And so, you know, normally when people are thinking bacterial issues, they're just thinking digestive, but we've just spent this whole episode not even talking about digestive issues, not even talking about, not once have we really talk about SIBO. And yet- you know, I don't think what, we've actually mentioned one digestive symptom. Well, I mean, apart actually, from IBD conditions, but okay, that's, yeah. that's about it, yeah. And you know what? I did actually just wanted to read this out. So in summarizing, this is a, a study from 2018 and I'll just read out the first line of the conclusion, and they conclude that it was shown that LPS stimulates prolactin secretion in the anterior pituitary gland. So, <laughs> I mean, and this is like this is exactly what happens, right? You think of a condition, you're like, yeah. Oh. Don't you don't you feel like it's just like you could think of something and just like throw it out there, even Literally though you, even, even even though you don't know like yep. inclusively if it, it if it does play a role in that. Yep. And then you type it in and you just go, oh, yeah, it does. Yep. There'll just be multiple papers just showing a direct correlation to LPS, like time and time again. So, Dave, we, we need to conclude this episode. Where do we finish? Do we do we talk about kind of what the next steps are? Like apparently everyone's got LPS issues. So do we touch on that or how do, where do we leave people? I mean, do we do we talk about some of the things that have, you know, quite well documented? I mean, that becomes a bit of a rabbit hole. I mean, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, we can mention them, but like whether we go, you know. Well, maybe we say this. Maybe we say, look, obviously the issue or the solution is dealing with the the, the bacterial overgrowth, which is causing the high amount of LPS, okay? And so if you're not sure how to do that, listen to our content, follow us on social media, because we talk about this probably more than anything else, okay? So, it's, so that's sort of step number one. You do need to start to rebalance the gut microbiome kind of you know get rid of some of the stuff which is causing these excessive amounts and then start to repair the gut lining like and, 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 and definitely straight away implement some protection for the brain straight away yeah okay and so for that melatonin yeah so let's let's just give people a few tips there so yeah. that's ultimately the long-term fix but things that may help reduce circulating levels of lps or maybe mitigate some of the damage so melatonin from an, a neurological sort of antioxidant perspective. And yeah, and I'd, I'd go for a melatonin with a B6, like a pyridoxal. That's what I would go for. Yeah, yeah. But like, and but to actually help to protect the blood-brain barrier, it's probably going to be a relatively high dosage. Yeah, okay. So I would generally say up to about ten milligrams. But bear in mind, I'm not telling people to go out straight away, and 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 you got to build up to ten milligrams. I want to make that clear. Don't go out and just start taking ten milligrams straight away. Yeah. <laughs> i think i jumped to 50 milligrams first time like it's just off the cuff but um yeah you might feel a little bit hung over the next day if you do that so this is not you know medical advice or this is not supplement advice we're just listing a couple of things that, that you know are documented to have some of these effects so melatonin would you say we haven't talked about this but would curcumin have any benefit there of neurological inflammation and uh, the, one, the, the one and maybe like you know I, I know at some stage we're going to cover this as a, as a topic because you you've actually mentioned that you, you you would like to cover it as a topic but i mean you know we do talk about peptides okay i i think ghk would give you a lot of protection here the copper mm -hmm. peptide so that's like l-histidine L-glycine, L-lysine, okay. The reason I'd say like GHK could give you a fair bit of protection here is I know like BPC is, is better for the blood-brain barrier, but GHK is just really good for suppressing things like interleukin-6 uh, and also it inhibits fibrinogen uh, synthesis in the liver, mm -hmm. okay, and fibrinogen actually is involved in the production of like CRP, SAA, okay, so... <laughs> down very funny hole. word it, well just it's just a funny word really <laughs> yeah, um so i just think like i'm not saying like you know that's the full approach does yeah. that make sense okay but i'm but just saying multiple that, benefits but also it helps with collagen synthesis so it's yeah. obviously going to help with the gut lining yeah okay so it's really helping like kind of the whole LPS issue, it's helping it from all the different areas where it becomes- Just because it's just help, helping to bring down that inflammatory load. So I'd just say initially, it's, it's probably going to give you some some good relief there initially. Yeah. Okay, I'm not saying that's the long course act, uh, long course action by any means. Yeah. We will do an episode on, on, on peptides at some point. That's why I was thinking curcumin though, because that would inhibit interleukin-6 as well, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a big fan of things like, you know, Kirk, Kirkman and Boswellia. I mean, I'd probably say, like, once again, like a bioactive quercetin, okay, just because it's so good for um, bringing down pro-inflammatory proteins. It's just yeah. amazing for doing that. I mean, it interferes with NF-kappa B, okay? It actually yeah. inhibits interleukin-1, TH17, okay, interleukin-17. So that would be really great around, like, LPS and negative gram bacteria, yeah. okay? And then... I'd probably get the wheels in motion with some sort of like, you know, biofilm agents. So, or, so that might just be something like an NAC. Yep. Uh, Which could potentially help with LPS anyway, just due to helping support glutathione levels and detoxification. Yeah. I mean, like, like obviously we're probably going to restrain ourselves from going too far down the antimicrobial realms. Yeah. Okay, don't but- even, don't even go there. This too much, but that's a whole nother episode, but we, we should talk about modified citrus pectin and mega but, but, but I think it's also important for people to understand that, it's probably not the the antimicrobials that you would expect. Okay, that's what I would say with some like negative gram bacteria. It's probably ones that you 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 probably really haven't heard of that frequently. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's a conversation for another time. But I think we've done an episode on antimicrobials. I think yeah we yeah yeah. So go back and listen. <laughs> we've to that. done a lot of episodes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, um, what was the ones you just mentioned? Megaspore and, and modified uh, citrus pectin. Yeah, bacillus strains are great for negative gram bacteria, especially like H. pylori. Okay, issue coli. This is a type of probiotic. People may not know that. So yeah. it's, it's so just based organisms. You know, things like subtilis, okay, coagulants. Yeah, that's a great point. And there's only one study I'm familiar of that's that's shown this, but they did test the spore-based probiotics and they found that. So they, again, post-meal endotoxemia, this is the amount of circulating LPS after people ate a meal. And they found that I think it was either eight weeks or 12 weeks, I can't remember, but they used Megaspore for this amount of time. And there was, I'm pretty sure, over a 50% reduction in post-mill circulating LPS levels. And the the justification for that or the explanation was that it had helped improve the integrity of the gut lining. So now there was less LPS ending up in the blood. So that is certainly one that I do like to use. And and then modified citrus pectin, you want to touch on that? I think it would give you huge benefits like from so many realms when it comes to like LPS and negative gram bacteria. I think probably the more we learn about modified citrus pectin, the more we become a fan yeah. of it. But it's it's a GI binder. So you're getting benefits around that. It does protect the blood brain barrier. That's amazing around LPS, but it has been documented to actually help to deal with LPS as well. Mm-hmm. And also it's just very good at stopping my biofilm from reforming because it mm-hmm. blocks GAL3. Okay. Mm-hmm. And GAL3 is the major pro-inflammatory protein that makes up the polysaccharide matrix of the biofilm. Okay. I mean, so this is a supplement could be really effective with endometriosis as well. It's one I've started to use with my endo clients. Yeah. And then, I mean, like if you, if you start to look at it, I mean, even there's, there's benefits around like cancer mm. because it blocks the GAL3 and the GAL3 can actually make up like a protective membrane around the, the, the tumor. So yeah, I think that's a, that's, that's a great call. Okay, hopefully that's the next steps for people. Obviously, we're not saying that's going to be the solution and, and be all and end all, but they are some some supplements that a lot of people may not even be aware of that actually can help with, with LPS levels. So there's a lot there. And hopefully that's begun to open your eyes to just how many different things are affected by LPS. And, and maybe it'll motivate you guys, inspire you guys to jump on a pub bed and, and look at you know different health conditions and different symptoms and see, I mean, gosh, even as I'm saying this, I'm just thinking of more and more that are coming to mind. Like we didn't even touch on any sort of like nerve conditions, but there's so many, so much evidence to suggest that LPS can trigger like nerve yeah. pain. I guess you touch on fibromyalgia, but I need to, I need to stop myself there. So yeah. like, even, yeah, like even like eye twitches and all these yeah. times, crazy stuff. There's so yeah. many things. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and like just one more thing, okay. Before you sign off, when you've got these health issues and you, I hear it all the time and I'm sure you do where people just go, well, I've tried everything. Well, when you've had these health issues, has someone said, well, it's most likely LPS and negative gram bacteria? Yeah. Because if that conversation hasn't been had, then you, you haven't actually looked at all areas. That's just, yeah. um, unfortunately, that's just the truth. Yeah. And most of the time, if you've tried everything, you probably haven't looked at things like LPS and negative gram bacteria. That's probably what you haven't looked at. And that is most likely the answer. Yeah. And it's not a quick fix. You guys need to know as well that this is, we're not talking two week fix or four weeks or even 12 weeks necessarily. These are the things that 12, 24, even, you know, a year, like six months to a year kind of thing to really start to have a significant impact on negative gram bacteria overgrowth on, on restoring and fixing the gut lining, 
you know, this kind of stuff, yes, will be earlier changes in symptomatic improvement. But if we're really talking about reversing and fixing some of these issues, you know, six months plus is, is easily what we're talking about. So don't feel disheartened. People feel disheartened six weeks into a protocol when they're like, hang on, all of my health issues haven't gone. Well, yeah, but you've had a negative ground bacterial overgrowth since you were born or since you were a kid, you know? And so in these instances, we're expecting 20, 30, 40 years of this accumulated imbalance to go away in four weeks. Like, yeah, we can, we can do some good work in four weeks, but you know, that's, it's, we're not really magicians quite like that's a, a huge impact we're trying to have in a very small amount of time. Yeah. So just and these bacteria, they're just getting, they're just getting more robust. Yeah. yeah. The biofilm is getting harder to break down. And because uh, obviously we, we have definitely created that problem as well. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so people can't have the expectation that, okay, or, you know, 10 days, okay? Or yeah. like, because the, the bacteria is just getting more robust, okay? Yeah. And it's, just, it's just getting harder. And that doesn't mean we just go, so it's, you know, it's too hard, okay? It just means that it's just a bit, a bit more of a long game. Yeah. Okay, thank you guys for listening. We would love it if you guys could leave us a review, only if it's a nice, good review. If you want to give us one star, you don't need to leave a review, that's fine. But if you, if you do want to jump on iTunes or Spotify or whatever you're listening on to listen to this, please leave us a review. We would love that. And thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We will see you guys next time. See you guys. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. Just quickly, please remember to check out our website in the show notes. Mine will be up shortly. Dave's is there. And we'd love for you guys to stay connected with us. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.